good morning, everybody. My name's Anthony, and it's a privilege and a pleasure, and I'm really quite nervous about this morning for some reason. I, pre I did preach um, three weeks ago, and I was quite calm. Today, I'm a bit jittery, um, but I'm sure it'll be okay. Um, I was really actually quite moved by the baptism today. Um, Hannah, I don't actually know you. I've seen you a few times. Um, and I think I was moved because I'm again reminded that God is in the business of drawing people to himself. That it, that's what he does. Um, that's who he is. And it doesn't matter how we're feeling, um, or what we're travelling, what we're going through. Um, God is faithful and true and consistent, and he wants people to be in relationship with him. And that's what this series has been all about. It's been about meeting Jesus. Um, and it's, it's been a good series. And I'm not just saying that because I've preached... Or we'll, I'm preaching the second one, but I've, I've done two out of the four sermons. <laughs> it actually has been a really good series. And um, if you remember nothing else from the sermon today, please remember this quote here. Grace is the one medicine you're simply going to need for the rest of your life. Um, by David Paul Tripp, man with the best moustache in the world. Um, he also says and writes really wise things. Um, yeah, grace is the one medicine you're simply going to need for the rest of your life. Um, see, my problem is that I can become so familiar with the story of Jesus that it can become sort of blasé. Um, or the story of Jesus sits in, in ancient history or in the history of my life, um, but I forget that it's about a daily process of surrender and submission to him. Because grace is the one medicine you're simply going to need for the rest of your life. And there are times when life is so busy that I get into an unhealthy pattern of thinking whereby the daily routine of ticking things off the list drives everything. The need to achieve becomes an idol. And I know that I need a saviour. I need Jesus, but functionally I end up believing and behaving like what will save me is doing things. But grace is the one medicine I'm going to need for the rest of my life. But more recently, there's, there's been other challenges. The mundane repetitiveness of being stuck at home, working from home, <laughs> overseeing homeschooling, doing church from home, 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 home made it hard for me to remember Jesus' Lord, Lordship over the everyday. After all, he's the Lord of all things. And perhaps it's never been more pertinent that if God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you. Life sure has been mundane recently. Grace is the one medicine you're simply going to need for the rest of your life. So whether you're weighed down by sin or you're stuck in a cycle of endless achievements or in a rut of the mundane, we all need Jesus and that's what this four-week series has been all about. And so this morning um, is the final in our Meeting Jesus series and I trust that it's been both encouraging and helpful and challenging for you and that you've had the opportunity to reflect more on who Jesus is and our desperate need for him. Um, today we're going to explore one of Jesus' followers, Peter. There are about 10,000 Peters in our church. Um, we're talking about the Apostle. Um, so when you think of the Apostle Peter, which stories come to mind? Because there are stacks of them. 
And if we were all together in person, I might even ask you to actually answer that question. But here's a quick list. Here's a 30,000-foot flyover of Peter's experiences of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel. So deep breath. Uh, Matthew 4 and Mark 1 record how Jesus called Peter and Andrew to leave their lives of fishing and follow him. Uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke record Jesus healing um, Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Now, I don't know um, how Peter got along with his mother-in-law, but I'm assuming he was happy about that healing. Um, Peter Peter is um, the one who casts out his nets at Jesus' request, which resulted in the miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5. Um, And interestingly, that's which is at the start of the story. But in John, which we're going to look at later, um, that account is actually the end of the story. Um, Peter was one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus raising the little girl from death to life in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Um, As the picture shows, Peter briefly walked on water with Jesus in Matthew 14 and John 6. Uh, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to build his church on him in Matthew 16. Peter rebukes Jesus after his announcement that he will be killed and rise on the third day. Um, Peter is one of the witnesses of the transfiguration and the appearances of Moses and Elijah in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And then there are the famous um, threes. Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times, even though Peter says that he will never deny him. Um, In the end, Peter does deny Jesus three times. And when Jesus reinstates Peter, he asks him if he loves him three times. And we're going to look at that in detail shortly. Um, Peter is the one who cuts the ear off of a servant during Jesus' arrest. Peter sees the risen Lord several times. And in the end, Peter becomes a key leader in the early church and empowered by the Spirit, preaches the gospel boldly. I can relate a lot to Peter because Peter is the classic mixed bag. He has moments of triumph and failure, but it's his encounters with Jesus and his relationship with him that defines him in the end. So much so that he can write these words, because of course Peter wrote two books of the New Testament, and he says this um, in 1 Peter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. So we're going to dive deeper into Peter's experience of God's great mercy in Jesus and some of the implications of that. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to John chapter 21. going to read through a decent chunk of text. Um, So John 21, Uh, have that open please. So I'm going to read from verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that, that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. He was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came back, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. John 21 begins as if the Jesus movement had been a monumental fizzer. Up until this point, extraordinary things have been recorded in John's Gospel, and I'm not going to list them all because you can read it for yourself. But John 1 included the claim that the God of creation had become flesh and lived among us. And John claimed that Jesus was the one who would prove God loves God's love for the world by dying for our sins. And Jesus was the one who welcomed sinners, even a Samaritan woman. And Jesus was the one who had authority to heal people's illnesses and deliver them from evil, and the list goes on. I have lost my spot momentarily. And Jesus' threefold questioning of Peter broke him because he knew he had been exposed. He was all talk and no action and Peter claimed that he would rather die than deny Jesus but he couldn't even stand up under the pressure of a girl's questioning. Just bear with me while I get my notes in order here. I'm really sorry. Okay, yeah. So, John records all of these things and then at John 21... It starts with Peter and his disciples fishing. They had returned to what they knew, their old way of life. Jesus had said that they would become fishers of men, but it seemed that that had passed them by. Was the Jesus movement a fizzer? Was the resurrection a fizzer? Would life for these fishermen just return to what it had been, fishing? But we know that the Jesus movement was not a fizzer because we're here today. And we know that it wasn't because of the apostles' extraordinary claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you've been at church 
for any length of time, you would have heard about the resurrection. But let's just pause and think about that. Recently, I was talking to some of my students, and I asked them, I work at Cairo Christian School in Lingath, and I asked them to put their hand up if they would call themselves a Christian, and the majority did. And I just remembered not who would put their hand up, but how many. And then I said, okay, hands down, hands up if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And significantly less students had their hands up than the ones who claimed to be Christians. And I was a little bit surprised. And I realised that I don't talk about the resurrection enough. That core claim of our faith. Because the claim is that he got nailed to a cross, that he died, that he was in a tomb for three days and presumably started rotting, and then his body was alive again and he was alive. That's a pretty extraordinary claim. And look at the specific details in verses 4 to 14 in John 21. First of all, it was early in the morning. Jesus told them to throw their nets on the right side of the boat. It even says the particular side of the boat. I mean, is that really relevant? I'm an English teacher, and if I was asking someone to write, you know, a 300-word concise piece, and the student was struggling with their word count, I might say, just get rid of the right side of the boat. Just, you know, is that really necessary? It's very specific. They were 100 yards from the shore. The disciples saw a fire of, of burning coals. Like, they could have just seen a fire. Did we really need to know that it was burning coals? There was a miraculous catch of 153 fish. Now, theologians have fun with numbers, but really, that's a very specific number. It was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The level of specific detail that John and eyewitness includes adds considerable, considerable weight to the claim that Jesus was alive. If he was going to be specific about everything else, why would he not be specific about the fact that Jesus was truly raised again? And Jesus lovingly exposed the full extent of Peter's failure and sin. He certainly did not let Peter off the hook. And John 18 records the account of his threefold denial of Jesus. So this is what it says in John 18. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. I love it how John doesn't like to name himself. Because his because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. If you aren't one of this man's disciples too, sorry, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? Jesus asked Peter. Sorry, she asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold in the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And then it goes on. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, and so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear... Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Just as an aside, how awkward would it be to be Peter? <laughs> like, I saw you in the garden. 
You, you cut my relative's ear off. I know you that you were there. No, no, no. No, no, I wasn't there. So Luke's account includes the detail that at the moment Peter denied Jesus for the third time, they locked eyes and Peter left and wept bitterly. So let's fast forward to John 21. Here is Peter again, warming himself in front of a fire and meeting Jesus face to face. When was the last time he was warming himself by a fire and he saw Jesus face to face when he denied him? The scene of Peter's sin and failure is being replayed with uncanny similarity. And no doubt Peter would have had his sin and failure at the forefront of his mind. So what would you expect Jesus to do in this situation? A nice Jesus, an accepting Jesus, a non-judgmental Jesus may just have given Peter a hug and moved on. An, aggr an aggressive, angry, arrogant Jesus may have condemned Peter. But Jesus lovingly exposed the full extent of Peter's failure and sin and he certainly did not let Peter off the hook. And Jesus' threefold question, do you love me? Replicates and mirrors Peter's threefold denial. Verse 15, Simon, of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These could mean two things, the word these. It could be the fishing boats, this way of life, or it could mean these other disciples, remembering that Peter claimed that he, even if all the other followers fell away, would, um, would die with Jesus and never disown him. And I think it's compelling that Jesus was reminding Peter of his bold words that weren't backed up with action. Verse 16, do you love me? Verse 17, do you love me? And at this point, Peter is hurt because it was the third time that he had been asked. I apologise, but my notes are completely out of order. Um, so I'm like a duck, very calm on the exterior, but paddling quite hard um, right now. So just uh, bear with me for one moment. Um, I, I always number my pages and I've never ever had them out of order and this is the one time that I have not numbered my pages there. That's a real shame. Um, okay. It's going to be alright. Um, in, in, uh, in Matthew it has the Beatitudes and it says um, Jesus says um, that blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. It talks about those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and it says that the blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And in this moment where Jesus clearly points out Peter's sin, Peter is spiritually bankrupt and completely humbled, even humiliated in that time. He knew that he was poor in spirit, that he brought nothing to the table. Peter knew that what it was to mourn and to cry out because he had reached the end of himself. Peter knew what it was to be meek and to be humble in front of Jesus in this situation. And Peter knew that he had a deep hunger and a deep thirst for righteousness, but he also knew that he didn't measure up far from it. 
But when Peter knew all of this, he was in a position to experience Jesus' unconditional love, forgiveness and friendship. The kingdom of heaven was his and this wasn't just a ticket out of here when he died, but it was the joy of knowing that God was king right now. Deep and meaningful comfort was his and the security of relationship with Jesus based on Jesus' faithfulness was also his. Real acceptance, real trust and deep relationship with Jesus comes when we stop pretending that we have all the answers and we come clean about our sin and accept his unconditional love and acceptance because of the cross. In verse 18, 19 of John 21 includes this strange statement by Jesus that predicts Peter's martyrdom. He, here is the encouragement from Jesus that while Peter may have denied him, even to a lowly servant girl in the past, he will be transformed to the point where he would even die for his faith like he claimed he would have but failed to do beforehand. So here's a couple of points of application and things to think about. Depending on our background, we tend to emphasise some aspect of Jesus over another. Some will want to focus on his acceptance of others, his mercy and his grace but they do that at the expense of any sense of judgment or justice or wrath. And this passage is a beautiful depiction of Jesus clearly naming Peter's sin, but at the same time, his desire to forgive and to restore. God's wrath and mercy meet at the cross. And secondly, notice that Jesus' deliberate action to reinstate Peter is not just for Peter's sake. The threefold command for Peter to feed Jesus' sheep is a reminder that we're not saved for our own benefit. Right from Abraham, who was blessed to be a blessing. The Bible is full of characters who are blessed by God and then empowered to be a blessing to others. There's never room for the Christian to become complacent. And Paul put this perfectly in Ephesians 2. And he said, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When reflecting on this passage over the last few weeks and this series, I was prompted to ask myself two questions. Number one, are there areas of sin that I need to fully confess to God? And remember, there's no need to be afraid because the cross proves his love for us. And then secondly, having experienced God's mercy and forgiveness and a new start, what good works has God got for me? Let's pray. Our dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the celebration of Hannah's baptism. Please um, continue to grow us. Help us to be honest with ourselves and more importantly with you about our sin and our brokenness. But also remind us of the free gift of new life and a new start and salvation because of Jesus. Thank you so much for your love and for your mercy, for your goodness. Um, and Jesus, we thank you for who you are, what you've done and what you're doing. Amen.